Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. last. A chance to sit down and uh, have a cup of tea. Why is there so much to do? There is no better group of pots of flower power than forms of the shrubby potentilla producing seed. Thanks for this week's sponsor, Hayloft Plants of Pershaw in Worcestershire. Hello and uh, welcome to This Week in the Garden. I'm Peter Seabrook, here to exchange some news, views, a bit of seasonal advice and uh, hopefully answer some of your gardening quandaries. The weather's been uh, quite gentle, mild temperatures and conditions pretty good for planting uh, bare root trees, shrubs and roses. I am at last beginning to see signs of a good clear up. Most of the leaves are down and we can uh, really get... uh, the backyard tidied. The big news this week is that uh, Thompson and Morgan of Ipswich have purchased Sutton's seeds of Torquay along with um, the associate brands Dobby's Seeds and the Organic Gardening Catalogue. Sutton's are of course uh, royal warrant holders to Her Majesty the Queen and were established in 1806. I well remember visiting their head offices and uh, extensive trials and nurseries along the railway line at uh, Reading way back. Must have been in the uh, 60s and early 70s. More recently, of course, they moved to Torquay, where we're told the new owners will continue to operate the Sutton's business. The relatively new owners of uh, T&M are online specialists who've seen a massive increase in internet trading since the lockdown last March. And the last reports reaching me on TNM indicate uh, that they're still trading at uh, double the sales this time last year. It is uh, an interesting time, and goodness, we're going to see many more changes, I'm sure. <laughs> One of the strongest memories I have of my first visit to the Chelsea Flower Show in 1952 was the towering exhibits from Sutton's Den of Reading. Mass displays of all these summer flowering plants. I remember particularly the andorinums and stocks. Fantastic sight. Don't suppose we'll see that again, but there we are. Life moves on. At uh, Floral Fantasia at the RHS Garden in Hyde Hall, the Polyanthus Crescendo and uh, the Primulas uh, Ballerinas and Everlast, planted 
uh, 14 months ago now, I suppose it must be, we left them in and planted summer bedding on top of them. And they've survived that four months under cover of a summer flowering plant remarkably well and are really growing strongly now and starting to flower very well. They do need thorough cleaning with uh, any of the winter and early spring flowering primroses. You need to keep a really sharp eye on them and remove all of the dead and dying old leaves and flowers. Left in place, they become the primary points for botrytis disease infection. And if you do get, you know, just one oldish leaf just close to the soil and tucked in at the base of the plant, it would just go to a wet rot and that can spread very quickly under dank conditions and if you're not careful can destroy the whole plant. It's even more important if you're growing a few in cool greenhouses and on windowsills where the temperature is a bit cold and damp overnight. Once again, mice are causing damage to uh, emerging sweet pea seedlings. It's really frustrating the way they nibble off the growing shoot just to get down to the seed and eat that seed and then leave the shoot on the surface. If you've sown some seeds of sweet peas out in the open ground to get them really well established and you see a hole shaped like an inverted cone at each position where you've sown seeds, you can be sure that it's mice on the attack. And it's amazing how they can smell where the seeds are and just dig that little hole, little beggars here. Now today I'm really excited because I'm going across the pond again to America. In a minute we will have online David Wilson of Over the Vest Nurseries, just south of Philadelphia. David, are you there? Yes, I am, Peter. Good to hear you. You have an Irish accent. How, how can we have an Irishman <laughs> down there just south of Philadelphia? <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, gardening takes, takes all sorts of forms, and I'm lucky to say it's taken me to various parts of the world, and I wound up here in North America. Yeah, well... Can we start at the beginning then? It sounds as if you were brought up in Northern Ireland from that accent. You're absolutely right, yes. So what was life like as a youngster in Northern Ireland? Oh, great, really. I was born on the family farm. It was a small farm and I was the eldest boy and probably lined up to be the one that inherited the farm. But Peter, you know, I know all the fine points of a dairy cow and a beef bullock and so on, but I really couldn't get that interested in animals. But I knew that I wanted to be outdoors. Right next door to where my family farm was, up on the hill, was my grandmother's and uncle's farm. My grandmother had a garden and it was really her that introduced me as a, I think probably an eight or nine year old boy to gardening. And needless to say, I was weeding. I was brought up on a farm too, as coincidence would have it, and so I didn't have access to land oh. and had to go off into another world and eke a living on the headland, you know, scrounging a living where we can, as we horticulturists do. <laughs> well, I was different in that because I was on the farm, I had plenty of access to land. And in fact, um, I think probably as an 11-year-old, I had my own little nursery. 
and I couldn't probably say too much about it to policemen, but I used to grow in root cuttings and then on a Saturday, when I was older, 15 or 16, take my father's car before I was legally old enough to drive, no driver's license, no insurance or anything, and off I would go to the jail square in Enniskillen and sell my plants there on a Saturday. <laughs> Amazing. And Peter, I thought I was making a fortune because I had no overheads. The only thing I had to do was to buy peat for compost and those plastic poly bags that we used to grow plants in in those days. Yeah. And of course, my father was paying for the petrol, so I had no cost. <laughs> it was all profit. <laughs> now, what about this grandma then? Did she have any favourite plants? Did she open your eyes to anything special? Absolutely. She was a very resourceful lady. And whenever we would go up to my brother and I, she would give us jobs. So one day I'm weeding in her garden and she suddenly held out this flower and said to me, do you know what this is called? Well, of course, I had no idea what it was. And then she proceeded with her fingers to pull this little locket-shaped flower that was pink with a white bit to the middle of it. It was the bleeding heart or dysenterous bactabolus. She pulled it apart and in the middle of it popped up this white feminine figure and she said, that's called Lady in the Bath. <laughs> And I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And I was so excited. Now, the farms were just like on two hills. I took to my heels and ran down over the fields as quick as I could to show it to my mother, this new discovery that I'd made. And that was the first plant that I ever really learned the name of and the first plant then that got me interested and took me then on my whole life of working with plants and nurseries and gardening. What an amazing story, David. I do a bit with schools. I think I must get some of these dysentery in pots and, and take it to the kids. Do, because what's interesting about it is the sort of thing that grandparents do all the time. They foster an interest in something. I couldn't wait to find out about how I could grow things. And that was what kind of set me on my quest then to find out about, about plants and plant hunters and all the fascinating exciting things that we see every day in gardening. And in those very early years, presumably the uh, rose breeders were at, at their height almost. I'm thinking of people like uh, Pat Dixon and uh, Sam McCready. I mean, Northern Ireland was uh, the place for new roses, wasn't it? Absolutely. And years later, when I, you know, went through colleges and so on, I then went back to Northern Ireland. That's when I came in contact with the great rose people and particularly Billy Douglas became a great friend of mine. He and I used to chat about plants all the time and those fellas were really doing a tremendous job growing all those roses. But of course, daffodils come from Northern Ireland. Yes, you know, there's yeah. all Guy Wilson yeah. and, and even today, Brian Duncan. There's a lot of fine daffodils that come out of there and also really good garden plants you know persithia linwood and potentilla longacre and a bunch of plants these are really great people that i was lucky enough to learn from but david then what took you to america 
I was doing BBC radio work. I was doing some TV on Channel 4. And one day I got a call from the American Horticultural Society. They needed somebody to take a tour of the Iberian Peninsula and lead them as an expert through their gardens. I did that and it went off well. They seemed to like what I was doing. And I spent eight years, you know, meeting American gardeners at the airports. And then we'd go around various gardens. I got to see some wonderful gardens and new plants and all sorts of exciting and interesting things. And then one day on one of the trips, I think it was in France, the vice president of the American Horticultural Society leaned over the seat in front of me on a bus and said, David, would you like to come to Pennsylvania and help me plant my Italian garden? So I came and helped them build the garden, and that was really the impetus for me to come here. Then I used to go around the shows, the nursery shows, and as I went around the shows, I would be looking at the plants. And as I walked by this one particular booth, the plants on there seemed to have a special kind of a shine. They sparkled like the others were all good plants, but these were just that there was something about them. And I didn't know it. But at that time, that was the Overdevast Nurseries booth. 20 years ago, I applied for a job with them and I've been working. <laughs> Working, working for them since, as they say in my neck of the woods, they haven't caught on yet. <laughs> yeah, is there any chance they're going to make this job permanent, David? <laughs> yeah. I think there's a chance. I had a quick look through the Overdevest catalogue, and there was... Um, Quite a big listing for cut-leaved maples, Japanese aces. Now, that's quite a tricky crop to grow, isn't it? It is. What we do with our Japanese maples is we, we really try to keep it simple. We try to have a situation where the homeowner can be as successful as possible, get off to the best possible start. So what we try to do is to really do extensive trialing and testing and looking for the best performing varieties. And do you have any tips for people uh, that will work our side of the pond as well as yours when they're buying aces? I mean, here, quite a number are flown in from New Zealand. They come in in August with an extended winter in New Zealand, so to speak. And then they just have about uh, 12 weeks or so to grow. And the root system can be a bit soft. And my advice will usually be to wait until the spring if you're going to buy uh, container-grown Jap azaleas here. They need to be very carefully looked after through the winter. Yeah, we grow them all in containers too. We graft our own pretty much and we do them both with a low graft where you have bushy ones coming out from the bottom and then we have them on a leg too where they make little weeping trees, particularly the cut-leafed ones you're talking about. But one of the things really is to just make sure that, as you say, they're nicely hardened and above all, really good, strong, successful root system on there. I love the things, particularly at this time of year. The colour of them now in my garden are outstanding, particularly with the conditions that we get here. 
it can be tough on them during the summertime because it's really quite hot and dry. But now at this time of year, the sugars are sweetened in the leaves and therefore you get tremendous fall color. But going back to UK conditions, the one thing I would say to people, besides what you just said very rightly, is that to keep them in out of the wind. The one thing I used to find, particularly with Irish conditions, that we get a lot of wind. And sometimes I would get young people coming in, they're mad keen to grow them. And I would say to them, look, here, take some of these other things that are hardier and tougher. Create shelter in your beds first and then come back and see me in three or four years time when you've created some shelter. And then I'll sell you some Japanese maples because sometimes if they're put out on an open site and you get that kind of searing wind and they have that delicate lovely dissected foliage but it can easily be damaged in the early part of the year and so that's the thing I would say to sometimes to anybody starting a new garden if you've got an established garden with plenty of shelter and a nice corner and well drained and preferably soil that's on the acid side all of those things they'll do fine but if you're looking at a open site forget it until you get some shelter going. Now David when you actually get a Japanese uh, cut-leaved maple in the garden and nicely established. Uh, if, it w- if it really grows very well, it can get a little too big. But I'm always uneasy about pruning. My advice is to cut out the deadwood because you can get a bit of coral spot. But beyond that, I'm in some kind of difficulty. How do you feel about um, shaping? Well, you're exactly right in that when you make a pruning wound, you can open it up to coral spot and, and some of the other diseases too. So I normally say don't prune them unless you really have to. But if you are going to prune them, and particularly if you're growing some of the ones like with this weeping habit that's on a leg and you might want to raise the crown a little bit so that you see in underneath it to accentuate the shape, And I would say that if you're doing that, don't prune them in the early part of the year. Wait till the summertime because they can bleed um, and the sap runs out of them and it's more prone then to the disease. So I would say hold off if you're going to prune them, do it during the latter part, the latter half of the year. But now another specialism of over-the-best nursery is dysentra that we were talking about a bit earlier. I see in the catalogue novelties like Golden Heart and Valentine. Yeah, Dicentras, the bleeding hearts, which is incidentally what they're called here in North America. Not many people call them by the name that I mentioned earlier, Lady in the Bath. That's kind of a British thing, I think. Well, how how about Dutchman's Britches then? We tend to have that as a common name for the smaller fringe-lived Dicentra, which, uh, you know, we grow a lot of too. Dicentra spectabilis and all of its varieties, cultivars, is really easy to, to force. And we were lucky early on to be able to get some of Dicentra Valentine. And I remember speaking to the husband and wife, Lyle Saracen and his wife, who found it as a seedling up in British Columbia, way up at the northern part of British Columbia. And they did something highly unusual. Most people, as you know, grow dicentras by splitting them, by dividing them. They were growing their dicentras by seed. And in one of the rows in their nursery, they noticed this little seedling that had red flowers on it. And they watched it for two years 
And then up it came. And that was how they introduced it. And of course, it had because of the bleeding heart and the heart shaped flowers. That's why they called it Valentine. So isn't that interesting how, you know, you think about all the dicentral production all over the world. And there's a couple that were growing them from seed. Yeah. I, you know, I, I hadn't thought about it. People uh, here at home could very well go out and buy them now, perfectly hardy, plant that. Uh, if they want to uh, attract their children or grandchildren into Lady in the Bath, now's a good time to plant those rootstocks. What's amazing about it is we're talking about plants that people should grow in their garden. Well, it's an old favourite, but the amazing thing is that it's so reliable. I've gone into homesteads where there's the house, the roof has fallen in, there's brambles and weeds growing in the garden and it's deserted. And what's coming up in the middle of the garden? Dicentris bactabilis. And of course, it makes a great cut flower too. You can cut it and bring it in and put it in a vase of water and it'll last a long time. The only thing sometimes here that we notice is that, of course, it goes dormant early on. Here, particularly in North America, I think it goes dormant earlier than it did when I was growing it in the UK. So it'll disappear, it'll turn yellow and disappear under the ground in the summertime and people think that it's dead. Well, it's not. It's just going to sleep in that summer dormancy. But guess what? In the springtime again, up it comes. Now, David, I have to ask the $100 question. You know, a Northern Ireland man there for, what, 20 years or more in North America. Are you staying there or are we going to have your skills back home sometime? Well, it's funny. When I go back home, and I usually go back home every February to see my mother and the rest and my daughter and the rest of the family and so on. But when I go back, they call me the American. And when I used to live in England, they called me the Englishman. And so, <laughs> but I, I honestly have got so rooted now living here that I, I, I just love being here. And I frankly like the weather here, even though it gets very cold in the wintertime. I'm not sure I'd be able to put up with the grey and the rainy weather and that sort of thing. But I love to go back, of course. But what I wanted to tell you is when I came here first, I'm working on the garden at Felicita, where I was here and where I live in Harrisburg. I arrived, I'm working, and you know how we do where we have rainy weather and so on, so you always keep a coat and a hat on the back of the door. Well, of course, I'm going out and I have the coat, so every time I went out, I have the coat under my arm. I walked around here for three weeks with a coat over my arm, and didn't realise that the weather doesn't really rain at the drop of a hat like it does in the UK. And meanwhile, my colleagues were looking at me and said, what is this <laughs> idiot doing walking around with a coat over his arm? It took me three weeks to realise that I didn't need the coat every day. <laughs> uh, uh, David, I can't tell you what a joy it's been to speak to you today. Yeah, I didn't realise when we set out that we would have so many things in common. How lucky we've been, eh? How lucky we've been. Absolutely. I, I said, um, you know, to somebody the other day, I said, I may not be rich 
financially, but I'm very wealthy experience-wise and just been so close to nature and working with plants and, and also nice people. You know, it's wonderful. There's something about gardening that people like to share. There's a kind of personality, I think, that goes with growing plants and being close to the earth. And that makes you, I mean, for every day, I'm eternally grateful for my grandmother and the teachers and people that set me on my way. And the people like Billy Douglas, you bounce off them and they send you off in a different direction. And then you go and you meet somebody else and you do this. And when you look back and you think, wow, look at all those places and all those things and all those people. But that's the stuff going back to grandparents and so on, that with little ones in the family, the experience, the knowledge, the, the guidance that grandparents can give to their grandchildren, that's immeasurable. Thank you, David. Hope we can catch up soon again with another one of these conversations. Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed your company. You're very welcome. My pleasure. If you'd like to see the flower which David mentioned in our conversation, uh, he made a video about it, and I'll ask Rich to put a link to that in the podcast description. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And for my tailpiece, how about the quote from Henry Beard? Bulb. Potential flower buried in autumn, never to be seen again. <laughs> Bit of a cynic, wasn't he? I'm pleased uh, to report the mass of bulbs planted last winter... Uh, up at Hyde Hall that flowered unseen during the lockdown, sadly, uh, are already showing through. So fingers crossed, Floral Fantasia will remain open for thousands of visitors to enjoy all those uh, tulips and narcissus mass flowering next March onwards. <laughs> Our thanks for this week's sponsor, Hayloft Plants of Pershaw in Worcestershire. To my producer, Rich Jarman, and of course to you for listening.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 